What a gorgeous, gorgeous night tonight. I was thinking in the back, like, I wish that we could just, like, go outside, you know, and finish the service outside. Would that be all right with you guys? I don't know how the sound would be out there, though. That may not work out too well. Hey, if this is your first time in the fire slot, we do want to welcome you tonight. We are a church that loves the Word of God. We believe that God has given us this book, the Bible, for teaching and for training and for rebuke so that we may know God and that we can understand who He is and who He has called us to be. We love the Bible so much that we've decided to go through it verse by verse. And right now, we're in the book of Luke, going through this book um, that Luke has written to the great Theopolis. Um, And we have been in this book for 62 weeks now, speaking of statistics. So 62 weeks may add up to somewhere around like a year and a half that we have been on this study. We finished two verses last week. Really good, yeah. We might be lucky if we finish 15 tonight. So statistically, we may be finishing this book somewhere around like 2010, 2011. Is that right? Is that appropriate? Somewhere around there. We don't really know. But guys, God has taught us so much through this book. It is a blessing to be here and to be with you tonight. Let me pray for us as we begin this teaching. God, I thank you so much for tonight, for the way that you've already begun to stir in our hearts for worship, God. And I pray that you would continue to speak in the way that you already have. God, speak through me in a way that I cannot speak. Communicate and articulate your word to your people so that they can understand it and so that they can know you. Father, we ask you to do that. Father, we pray that you would help us tonight to worship you and to love you and to proclaim your goodness to all of the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started uh, in the book of Luke chapter 17 and we were in verses 20 and 21. And as Mark was opening up a two-week teaching on the kingdom of God, We talked about a question that the Pharisees had asked Jesus. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, when is the kingdom of God coming? And in the response that Jesus gives to them, it's very, very difficult for the Pharisees to understand because Jesus tells them, it's not coming with your careful observation, but it is already in your midst. Now for the Pharisees to hear that the kingdom is already in their midst, It's very confusing because they see the kingdom of God coming as something that's going to be physical. It's going to be like Sergeant Slaughter for you guys that used to have G.I. Joes. You know, he's got like these massive pipes and he's got like the Jewish flag in one hand and he's got like a rocket launcher in the other arm and he is coming to annihilate all the enemies of the Jews and establish a political kingdom. That's the kingdom that they have in their mind. But Jesus says, no, no. The kingdom is already in your midst. And Mark gave us a definition last week to help us to understand that. And the definition that he gave is is looking at that verse this way in verse 21. There it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom being the rank authority and sovereignty that is exercised by a king is already in your midst. And so Jesus is saying, I have come to begin to establish my kingdom, my rank, my authority, my sovereignty. And I'm establishing it in the hearts and in the lives of men. But as we journey on, we see that this kingdom that is coming kind of comes in these two stages where we have the kingdom that God is establishing through His 
presence on earth and through His death on the cross as being a type of spiritual kingdom that is being established in the hearts of men as He reigns and as He is their authority. But then there is this kingdom that is coming almost in a second wave. And the kingdom that is coming is what we're going to be talking about tonight. The kingdom that Christ is going to establish in His second coming. And so I hope that you guys... Are you guys excited to learn about this tonight? All right, well, let's do this together. Starting there in verse 22. Then He said to His disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. So the very first question that I had to wrestle with as we started this text is what day of the Son of Man are the disciples going to be longing to see as Jesus says that they'll long to see it. Now, the Pharisees don't really have a longing in their heart to see the second coming and the reign of Christ. And so automatically we know that Jesus is speaking here to the disciples about His second coming, about the kingdom that He is coming to establish. The other, the other reason that we know that He's talking about the coming kingdom and not about the kingdom that He is establishing now is because Jesus tells them, you won't experience it. You won't see it. If Jesus was talking about His days of ministry on the earth and the kingdom that He was establishing right now, He would not have told the disciples that they would not see it. Because clearly the disciples have been journeying with Jesus during His ministry on the earth and they have been experiencing it with Christ. They've been living life with Him. They've been experiencing this kingdom. So this launches us into our whole conversation about Jesus now is opening their eyes, the disciples' eyes, those that would read Luke's book into understanding, into seeing how this kingdom is going to come. So let's continue on there in verse 23. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. So Jesus, because he can see everything, knows prophetically that there are going to be men that will come and they will say, after Christ is gone, hey, there's Jesus. There he is, coming for his second coming, for the establishment of the kingdom that's coming. Or here he is. And Jesus says, do not be taken away by men who will say that the kingdom is coming. Clearly, this has happened in Scripture, and not as it just happened in Scripture, but it ha- it's happened in the world and the history that we live in. Second Thessalonians, um, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. If you'll check this out, as Paul is writing a letter to the church of Thessalonica, he makes a statement. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from one of us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. You see the church of Thessalonica here has been wrestling that there's been prophecy or a report or a letter that's come saying Jesus came. And they're struggling because they believe that somehow they've missed it. And Paul is saying, don't struggle, friends. Don't wrestle. Don't believe that somebody has come and you've missed the second coming of Christ because indeed you have not. Today and the day that we live in, there are still those that come that would like us to believe that we are missing the coming of the Messiah. 
that we are missing the kingdom that is coming, that Christ has promised us. Any of you guys like Wikipedia? Possibly? I like Wikipedia. Matt McNeil introduced me to Wikipedia and a whole other bunch of wikis that I like to check out and get on. And Wikipedia is cool because you can pretty much find anything on there that you want. If you go on there and you look up people that have claimed that they are the Messiah, you can spend a few days just reading about wackos that have come and said that they were the Lord. There's 28 different people that they talk about on that list, and I'm sure that doesn't nearly cover all of them. But there's one that's on this list that I like have this, I don't know, a, fa- a fascination with, I guess, because he is so interesting, he is so weird, and he's alive right now, and he is telling people that he is Christ incarnate, that he is Jesus in the second coming. This guy's name is Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda, all right? That's the guy's name. And let's put, can you put that picture up there of him, Andrew? And this guy, he is 60 years old. Go ahead and put up some of those things about him. He's the guy that's standing there with the 666 that's on his uh, jacket. And um, there was children in that picture that are like gathered around him. He's 60 years old, and he's a former heroin addict and convict. I think it was around the time that he was doing heroin that he decided that he was going to be Jesus reincarnate because I don't know how you would think that any other way unless you're on drugs. He believes that... Not lightning. He believes that he's lightning. That was, that was part of that. He believes that he is the living, reincarnate Jesus. And I know that as we're sitting here like looking at this and we're saying, man... How in the world could anybody be following this guy, believing that he is Christ returned? But he preaches to followers in 35 nations. He has 287 radio programs. And he has a 24-hour network that is run in Spanish that has things about him and his teachings on it. And here is his teachings, by the way. The devil, hell, and sin are non-existent. Prayer is a waste of time. And the Ten Commandments are irrelevant. And this guy is gaining a following because we live in a culture that would like to believe that sin is not real and that they don't have to follow a God that holds them to a higher standard. And so people are gathering around this guy. Church, may we not be fooled into believing when false prophets come that they have any credibility in establishing the kingdom of Christ, that He is establishing to reign with authority and with power. Here's one beautiful reason that when guys like this come around, that we can learn about them so that we can know how to articulate our views about them, but we never follow them. Check out this next part of what Jesus is saying in verse 24. For the Son of Man in His day will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Whenever you're out at night and you see a dark sky and you know that the storm is coming in, and when you see that first flash of lightning in a dark sky, Andrew, put that up. Check this out. It's completely dark, and then all of a sudden, you see the flash. And it's obvious. You can't miss that. As Jesus is speaking about the coming of His kingdom, 
He says it is going to be as universally obvious as lightning that is flashing in the sky. Here's what he's saying. When I come, you'll know it. When I come, you're going to see it. It will be unmistakable. Universally, believers and non-believers, the billions of people that live across this earth will know when Christ comes and establishes His coming kingdom. And that's something that we can take great hope in. You see, when I was a little boy, there was a time that I remember I grew up in a home where I got to hear about the gospel and I got to hear preachers preach. And one day, when I was 13... I was out playing basketball with my friends in the driveway. And I come in knowing that it's probably about time to eat, sweaty and hungry. And I walk through the garage, through the house, into the kitchen right there. And as I get into the kitchen, like I smell the hamburger meat cooking for tacos, which was my favorite meal. But my mom is not there with the hamburger meat. And I'm like, hmm, that's odd. She doesn't usually leave hamburger meat cooking. Looks like it could be burning. That's not good. So I continue to walk through the house, not really thinking anything of it. Maybe she got a phone call. Maybe she's in the other room. I walk into the living room. And when I get to the living room, I see that the TV is on, but my brother is not watching. And I'm like, wait a second. Meat cooking, TV on. Something may not be adding up here. So I continue through the house. Nobody's in the bedrooms. I walk by the bathroom. The door's not shut. It's open. I get back to my dad's room, and I'm like, sure enough. My dad would come home every day and he loved to read. So you'd always see him with the door open and laying there on his bed with a book. He would be reading. And I get to the bedroom and I see the book opened up on the bed and no dad. And all of a sudden I have one of these freak out moments where I'm like, oh no! Like I've missed the second coming of Jesus! What am I going to do? I thought I was a Christian. Jesus, what happened? I thought that I knew you. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where like, you're just in a random place and all of a sudden you're like, did Jesus just come? Like, did I just miss it? Praise God that He's going to come like lightning in that nobody is going to be able to mistake the coming of King Jesus. You see, the first time He came, it was hard to observe. He says that it's not going to come with your careful observation. Oh, but my second coming... Oh, but the establishment of my kingdom, it's not going to be hard to observe. You're going to see it. It's comparable to what we've learned about as we've talked about Luke chapter 13 and we see the image of a mustard seed. For those of you in the room right now, if I was holding a mustard seed in my hand, it would be very, very hard for you to observe. But if there was a tree growing in the middle of this room, you would know it. The coming kingdom is going to be easily observed. It's going to be unmistakable. If you're taking notes right now, write that down as your first note. The coming kingdom is going to be unmistakable. Let's keep going. Verse 25, but he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now this must here, as as Luke says, he must suffer many things. This is a divine must. He is talking about the destiny that Christ has in suffering for the glory of God and for the sins of man before He can return in His glory. And Luke writes about this again. In Luke chapter 24, verse 26, he says this, Did not Christ 
have to suffer these things and then enter His glory. As a part of that establishing of the kingdom that we're partaking in right now, the kingdom that reigns in our hearts and in our lives, before that establishment could fully take place, there was a suffering of Jesus that would free the extension of grace to sinful men so that their sins could be covered by the blood of Christ. Verse 26, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day of Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and it destroyed them all. If you remember in our first book that we studied, in Genesis chapter 6, we met this man named Noah. And Noah lived in a sinful generation where every thought and every inclination of Noah's neighbors were wrong. All they thought of was sin all of the time. Their hearts were wicked and that's all they wanted to do. And so God comes and He says to Himself that He's saddened by His creation. And so He decides to blot them out and to start creation over. But before He does that, He finds Noah and He says, Noah was considered righteous in God's eyes and so He seeks to preserve preserve Noah's life. And he saves the life of Noah and he saves the life of his family before he brings down judgment on a wicked people by bringing the flood. Now in this comparison, if you look back, he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. The Son of Man being the establishment of the kingdom that is coming. As, God, as he says this, as Jesus says this, he, I don't believe that he's talking as much about the depravity that existed in Genesis chapter 6 during the time of Noah as much as he's talking about the way that judgment fell on the people. As the people are eating, drinking, marrying, all of a sudden a flood comes. And the use here, what Luke is doing, it's called ascendentum. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but it's when writers use repetitive words that are action words, but they take out the conjunctions. And so the idea that we have is there is repeated things that are happening in the continuation of life. People are eating, they're drinking, they're marrying, and all of the sudden, without any expectation, God comes and He brings judgment on a depraved people. And just in the same way that it was with Noah, so it will be in the days when Christ comes and He establishes the kingdom that's coming. I have a, a favorite musician. Some of you have made a, maybe have heard of him. His name is Keith Green. And Keith Green is dead now. But there is a song that he wrote that was called He'll Take Care of the Rest. And in this song, I think that he beautifully captures what's happening in the days of Noah and what Jesus is talking about here right now. He says, you just think about Noah toting his umbrella when there wasn't a cloud in the sky. All of his neighbors would laugh at his pet giraffe and they would snicker as he walked by. Don't you see the continuation of life? People are walking by Noah. They're walking by the animals that he's gathering and they're like, bro, that dude is a quack. You know, like 
Noah's got the umbrella out, believing it's going to rain, and people are just continuing on with life. But check out the next part of that song. But the Lord said, hey, Noah, keep cool just building that boat because it's a matter of time, and they're going to see it's going to float. And they saw it for sure. But they saw it when it was unexpected. So moving on in the next story that we have. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and it destroyed them all. In the same way, we see that usage of words. People are eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. They're continuing on with their lives, going to work, going to the family reunion, going out with friends, building houses, buying houses, making investments, and all of a sudden, God's judgment falls on people when they least expect it. In this time, it's with fire and sulfur in Sodom and Gomorrah. Before, in Genesis, it was a flood. But the fact remains that people were just continuing life. They had no expectation of the coming judgment that fell on them. It was unexpected. That's the next thing that you have on your notes. It came unexpected. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52 tells us this about the coming of King Jesus. In a flash and in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Jesus is going to return when it is the least expected for people. And judgment is going to fall on depraved people. Let's keep going. Verse 30. It will be just like this on the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down and get them. This is referring to a house that would be like in Palestine where the roof would be flat and there would be stairs going down the side of the house and sometimes people would go up onto their house. And if you were on the house and you saw the flash of lightning in the the sky and you see Christ coming, there will be no time to go downstairs and gather any of your belongings. There will be no time to go and gather the things that you considered valuable to you as your possessions. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. If you're at work, there won't be time to go back and to gather those scrapbooks, ladies. I know my wife tells me, like, if our house burns down, Jason, the only thing that you have to go in and get is my scrapbook. You know, I think I'm going to buy her a safe just so she can lock that thing up. It's like more valuable than any of our tax documents, anything, right? For you guys, like there's not going to be any time to drive home and make your commute from work, even if you live right down the street, and to go and get that gun that your dad gave you or that golden watch as you were the oldest son and you had something passed down to you and it's something that means a lot to you. There's not going to be 
time. It's going to come completely unexpected and your possessions won't matter. They're going to be fleeting in the comparison of the coming of King Jesus. Let's keep going here. Likewise, no one in the field will go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. If you remember the story about Lot's wife, when God destroys the city of Sodom, the angels warn her, they say, when you are leaving the city, don't look back. And sure enough, because she was not ready to leave behind the world and the things that she considered valuable, she's turned into a pillar of salt. And in this image, as Jesus is saying that you're going to have to leave behind your possessions. And as he reminds us there in verse 33, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. It's that image that returns in our mind of Luke chapter 9, verse 62, when we talked about a plow. And we said, remember when you have a plow and that plow is out in front of you and just imagine that you're in the old days and that plow is being pulled by an ox or it's being pulled by a horse. And so you've got the plow strapped over your shoulders and you're trying to hold on as the ox pulls you. Now, your job as you are trying to direct that plow is to keep it as straight as you possibly can. Because if you look back this way or if you look back the other way just for a brief moment you will go off course and you won't keep your plow straight in the same way in that passage in Luke we're told that people that are not focused forward on the righteousness and on the glory of Christ People that are more distracted with possessions or more distracted with relationships or more distracted with their work than they are on the sovereignty of King Jesus and glorifying Him and enjoying Him forever. If you're taken off course, then you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And we're reminded right here that we can't look back, but we must continue to strain towards Christ and strain towards His glory. Verse 34. I tell you, on that night, two people will be left in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. The image that we have is two people, maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, they're together, they've been married for six months, they're looking so forward to living this life together that they've started and they're sleeping in the same bed. And all of a sudden, the wife rolls over and she's been divided because her husband is gone. Or maybe it's two sisters and they've been away from college. And so they come back together 
and they decide, you know what, let's share a room in the house like we did in the olden times. Let's sleep together in the same bed. And as they're sleeping, one sister rolls over to the other sister, and the sister is gone. It's like two brothers that are on a camping trip, and they're sharing a tent. And in the middle of the night, one brother is there, and one brother is gone. It's the separating of the righteous from the unrighteous. And we know that this is true because Jesus has already talked about coming not to bring unity between family members and between people that are in this world, but He's coming to bring division. Look with me, if you will, back before in a chapter that we've already talked about, Luke chapter 49. Look at this passage that Jesus promises. I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish that it were already kindled. Is that the image of Jesus that you see of the blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus that looks like, you know, he's on the powder puff team or something? Like, no. This is a Jesus that's coming to reign in authority. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided. Father, son, I lost my spot. Another against daughter and daughter. That cross? Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Do you see the picture? Do you see the division that Christ is going to bring? This is the division that He's talked about bringing in the world in the establishment of the kingdom today, right now. There are those of you who have family members that are divided. There may be some spouses in here that are divided. Maybe your husband or your wife is at home. Maybe it's your girlfriend. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your niece. You all know what I'm speaking about. You know that when you're divided by Christ... Because it is a completely different life. It's a completely different mindset and a completely different heart. Christ says that He's coming to divide. That division, while it's happening right now in the kingdom that we reside in, where Christ's authority and reign rules in our hearts, in the coming kingdom, and the one that Jesus is speaking of, it is going to be the culmination of division where Christ is separating the righteous from the unrighteous. He's separating the sheep from the goats. And possibly it's people that are in your family. Possibly in the nest example where it talks about two women that are grinding grain together. It's somebody that you work with. It's two waitresses. It's two school teachers. It's two men that work together doing construction. Whoever it possibly could be, it's your neighbor. It's your friends. Jesus says, when I come to establish the kingdom that is coming, it will be dividing. On your notes, just write that down. It's dividing. When Jesus comes and establishes the kingdom to come. So picking up there in verse 37, where, Lord, 
they asked. In response to what Jesus has just said, where people are going to be taken, he replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Now on the first reading of this, it's very easy to go down the track and think, well, Jesus, what are you talking about here? Because it seems that you're saying that you're taking the righteous like we've all been taught, but you're going to take them where the vultures gather? Like, that's not quite the kingdom that I was hoping for, Jesus. Like, I was thinking maybe about worshiping you like forever, not about being surrounded by vultures. You know, I don't know if that sounds appealing to you, but not really to me. But in that text, this is what I believe that Jesus is saying. The whole time, Jesus has been deflecting the questions about when and about where. And what I believe that he is speaking of is this is how the kingdom is going to come. And when it comes, if you are not one of my called, if the blinders have not been removed from your eyes, and if you have not seen me and received me and called me king and allowed me to reign in your life, if you're what's left after the judgment that I'm going to bring on this earth, if you are one of those people that is still here, then what you're going to experience is desolation, loneliness, It's going to be pictures of vultures that are gathering over dead corpses after the wrath and after the judgment has come. In the same way that Jesus has been comparing the days of Noah and the days of Lot, where He delivered those that He had called to be a part of what He had for them. In the same way, in the kingdom that Jesus is going to establish, He will deliver those that He has called, those that He that His blood has made been, been made righteous. But for those that have not, it's going to be loneliness. It's going to be separation from King Jesus. And there the vultures will gather. And there will be no joy. And there will be no hope to be experienced. As I have prepared this message, I don't know if, if any of you are like this. Do any of you like music? And just go ahead and raise your hand if you like music. Yeah. You probably have iPods and, you know, cool things like that, satellite radio in your car, and lots of CDs, which I don't have because I have four children, and it seems that I lose a CD every day. I'm going to start locking them up in the same safe that I put my wife's scrapbooks. You know what I mean? But I like music a lot. And one of the things that I like about music is I like to listen to it and kind of try to relate music to theology and my understanding of God. And there's a song by Van Halen. I know that that's not the name that you generally think of when you think about theology and music. But he has this song called Right Now. Does anybody know this song that I'm talking about? I've asked a couple of people, do you know the song right now? And they're like, I'm not sure what you're talking about, you know? And I'm not going to sing it for you. I thought about it, but that just would not be good. But in this song, as he sings a song about right now, as I, as I hear that song, it draws me in and it makes me think about what is happening right now. In the kingdom that Mark spoke of last week, as Jesus comes in the flesh and he begins to establish his kingdom on this earth, a kingdom where the King of Kings reigns in the hearts and lives of people through authority and through sovereignty. That is the kingdom that we are experiencing right now. Second Peter chapter three, verses nine to ten. Check this out. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That is right now. We are living in the kingdom that Christ has established as He reigns in the hearts and in the lives of men. And guess what? It's a kingdom of grace. It's a kingdom of mercy. Every time that the sun rises over our heads, it's another day that we do not deserve. It's another day that God has shown grace to a distant and depraved people. And so as we exist right now in this life, the calling while studying the future and being concerned with things like eschatology about study of end times, while those things are good, don't waste your life reading the end times series, okay? Now, there are, there are things to study that we can understand. The beauty of how Christ is going to come back. But people that spend their time wasting their lives on trying to predict a date or trying to predict how exactly it will come, Christ has not called us to waste our lives being so concerned with the future that we forget about what is happening right now. He's given us an opportunity to preach the Gospel. He's given us an opportunity to share faith with our friends. He's given us an opportunity to live the mission of Christ with serving people and with loving people so that their eyes can see who God is and so that they can come to faith and repent and know Him. He's given us an opportunity to recognize our sin, to repent from our sin, to reform our lives around Him, and to remember what He's done. That's the right now that we exist in. And praise God for that kingdom that He's established today. But here's the deal. Just as soon as Van Halen dropped the cool line about right now, he screwed it all up. Because in the very next line, he says, it's your tomorrow. It's your tomorrow. In the society that we live in, as we love so much to predict the weather and to predict who's going to win the ball game and make investments believing that all those investments are going to become ripe and that we're going to be able to benefit from the results, Jesus has promised us that not only is right now His, but tomorrow is His too. If you read this passage, continuing on there in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That's the promise for tomorrow. He'll come unmistakably. He'll come through our hearts as He reveals Himself to us, He's going to come. He's going to come and He's going to divide. And here's the question that I ask for you right now. Do you know King Jesus? Is Christ 
reigning in your heart and in your life? Are you prepared for the coming that Christ is speaking of? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, God, right now for speaking to our hearts. God, I thank you for speaking to our lives. God, I thank you for reminding us that you have called us to live right now in the kingdom that you have established with authority through your death on the cross as you reign in the hearts and the lives of men. And Christ, we thank you right now for the blood that was shed for us so that we could know you. And God, I pray that you would help us to preach your word to a world that does not know you before you bring the judgment that you speak of to unrighteous people. God, I pray that you would help us to live the gospel in our community. Father, and if there are people here tonight that don't know you, I pray that you would speak to their hearts and that you would speak to their minds, that you would help them to see you and help them to receive your reign in their life so that they can be emulators of you. God, we pray that you would reach our community through us. God, that your kingdom, when it comes, will come with power, that it will come in the ways that you have described, God, but that we would not get lost in waiting and that we would not get lost in trying to figure out the date but that we would let your kingdom be your kingdom and that we would do what you've called us to do here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.